Good morning. The pleasure of bringing you uh, God's Word this morning. Uh, my name is Clay Patrick, and um, I have get the pleasure of bringing you the Word this morning. I uh, get to preach here from time to time uh, when, when Charlie is uh, asked me to come, and so I'm just uh, thankful to be here and to continue the uh, journey that we started last week. So I promise I, I won't make you stand up like I did last week, but uh, this journey is exciting. Uh, chapter 14 is what we're going to be turning to. God is at work, working in the lives of his people. The Spirit is indeed moving Paul and Barnabas uh, for his glory as they press in to the people that they meet along the, this journey and in these cities as witnesses for Jesus Christ. As the expansion of the gospel is spread out and uh, the reach of the gospel is, 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 is meeting people uh, from all over the world, primarily Gentiles uh, on this journey. Uh, and the Christians, I want to just point out that Christians have the answer for uh, the brokenness in our world. Much like in Paul's day, though maybe not as uh, explicit, implicitly in our culture, um, we have idols that are deeply embedded. Things or ideas that seek to grab our attention, seek to grab our worship, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only solution. Paul didn't go through these towns with a lot of different strategies and methods, although he used them, surely, but the power was made evident as people came and trusted in Jesus Christ. And if they're going to respond to the gospel, the disciples, the ones who were sent out to spread the gospel, you and I must press in as we care for them and share with them the risen, uh, the, the dead, buried, and risen Jesus Christ. And so this, this uh, uh, first missionary journey is where the Spirit continues to build the church as the messengers of the gospel continue to proclaim it. So... Preach the gospel, make disciples. Preach the gospel, make disciples. Let's pray, uh, and we'll look at chapter 14. Father, thank you for um, the opportunity to look at your word. I pray for your, um, your blessing upon this time, that we would be reminded uh, that you not only called Paul and Barnabas, but that you move in all of us to be a part of uh, spreading the gospel, to be a part of caring for people, to be a part of uh, a journey in our lives that interacts with unbelievers so that they might know the one true God. I pray that you would help us to see some of these principles, some of the ways that your spirit works, that it might move in us uh, a greater dependency upon you for the great need that people have in this world for Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 14... The, if, if you could put that map up, and it is up, that's great. Um, maybe we can dim the lights for a second so I can show you where they have been and where they are going. So chapter 13, uh, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark started off uh, from Antioch of Syria, just on the right side of the screen. That was their sending church, the church uh, sent them off. They went to the island in the middle called Cyprus. 
They landed there. They proclaimed they word, the word of, of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, they interacted with people. Uh, a proconsul named Sergius Paulus came to faith in Jesus Christ. Perhaps through that relationship, they moved north through connections, uh, traveled to uh, what is now southern Turkey, and uh, went to Perga, and then up to Antioch and Pisidia through the mountain range, proclaimed the gospel there. And then from there, they're going to go to three cities, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. And so our journey, uh, we're going to pick up this morning with the Iconium, Lystra, and Derby cities, and then he's going to revisit those on the way back. And he's going to revisit those cities that he went to and then go all the way back to the sending church. So that kind of gives you a big picture of, of where we're headed. So in verse uh, 1 of chapter 14, God's word says, In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together. So this is typical of what, they, what Paul and Barnabas do. They go to the synagogues. When there's a synagogue, they go there. Uh, because typically, there's Jews there and God-fearing Greeks, people who respected the God of Israel, maybe even proselytes to Judaism, um, but not yet believers. And so they interact with the people there. They go to the synagogue, and they speak in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks. So this is good. You have the theme of belief here. Now notice the contrast, though, from those who believed to those who disbelieved. Verse 2 says, But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles. So when we say, does everyone know when it, the text says Gentiles, that means the nations, the other people besides the Jews. And so uh, you had Jews that did not believe, and they stirred up the minds of, of, of the non-Jews. They didn't want them to trust in this, in this Jesus. They stirred up their minds. They embittered them against the brethren. They, they caused um, some friction, some opposition. So uh, they, they're good at stirring up the crowds and, and getting people riled up to the point where there's riots. Everybody know what, is, what a riot is? I think we probably have an idea of how crowds can get stirred pretty easily. And we see that on this journey. And what we're going to see is that there's opposition to the gospel. There's opposition to the gospel work. And whenever you press in and move the gospel, there's most always opposition. Believers who press in with the gospel will face opposition and suffering. Just mark that baby down. That's, that's going to happen. And so there are different reactions to the gospel as well. So they, they decide to stay there a little bit longer. Verse 3, therefore they spent a long time there doing what? What did they do? They spoke boldly and they relied upon the Lord with reliance upon the Lord. So instead of, instead of going somewhere else, they decided to stay. They relied upon the Lord. And, and, and notice who's doing the work here. The Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. So the Lord was confirming that Paul and Barnabas's work was indeed his work. And it was a ministry of word and action. It was not only them speaking, but it was confirmed through these signs and wonders, which 
uh, for those early day apostles would often be the case. And this grace, this word of grace, uh, is, is the gospel. He's forgiven. He's given them in Christ what they do not deserve. They deserve to be separated from God forever and to suffer the penalty of their sin forever and ever and ever. But God in His grace gave His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in their place, in our place, so that if we trust in Him, we receive eternal life. That is the gospel, because He rose from the dead, and He is alive. And they preach that gospel. It's a gospel of His grace. And they prayed for boldness. They relied upon the Lord in the midst of this opposition. But verse 4, you can see the people were divided. The city was divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. And when an attempt, in verse 5, it says, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they became aware of it and fled. Okay, so... um, and, and again, kind of a side note, when it says the apostles, um, a lot of times in, in these passages, speaking of Barnabas too, these are most likely it means people who are sent out. An apostle is not only the, the specific 12 apostles, but probably more in this context, people who are sent out. They have a message that they're going out with. Jesus said, as, I have, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And so the apostles are there with a the message. The city is divided, and there was an attempt with the people there Uh, to mistreat them. They had an evil intent to stone them. They had an evil intent to kill them. And somehow, um, the the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, become aware of it. And so they, they, uh, they flee. And I think it's important to know, too, that sometimes the Spirit leads people away and sometimes the Spirit leads them to stay. And maybe this is an example of what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 10, 23, that you will go from town to town fleeing. Um, And so they flee to the surrounding uh, Lyconia cities. Look at verse 7. What's their purpose? What's their purpose? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Sometimes in our, I think it's easy in our Christian life to get caught up in so many different things. What do I need to do? How do I become more effective? Uh, as we read through this passage, look at the simplicity of their, their, their mission. It was to preach the gospel. All they're doing is carrying out Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's what they're doing. They're making disciples. They're preaching the gospel, making disciples. Preaching the gospel, making disciples. So this was the purpose. And so they flee to these surrounding cities for the, this exact purpose. And they next go to uh, Lystra. Okay, so Lystra and Derby, we saw on that map, were the next two cities. Lystra is the hometown of Timothy. How interesting. They have not met Timothy yet. So they go to Lystra. Um, Iconium, where they just came from, was a little bit more civilized. Um, Lystra and Derby are a little bit more rustic. Alright, so the gospel is hitting all sorts of diversity with different cities. And you notice too, as Paul interacts with people, he interacts with them in different ways. As he was in Iconium, he went into the synagogue. As you'll see here in Lystra, he seems to be out in the open. There isn't a mention of a synagogue. And so in verses 8 and following, they have a miracle encounter. This is part of this adventure that they're going on. And they come to Lystra, verse 8. 
there was a man who was sitting and who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. Just imagine this person. Um, And he was hearing Paul. He was listening to Paul, verse 9 says. He was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he had fixed his gaze on him and seen that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. So this is a lot like Jesus, a lot like Peter. This is a miracle. Um, He heals this man. And the man leaped up and began to walk. So it says that he had seen that he had faith to be made well. Um, Seems to be the faith to be delivered. We don't necessarily know his, his, his spiritual salvation. Possibly it was connected with that. But this is a, a miracle that God does. And the people see it. The people see it. Verse 11. Look what happens when the people see it. Instead of giving praise to God, what do the people do? The people, it says uh, in verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come, become like men and have come down to us. So imagine it. Paul is preaching the gospel. He wants people to see Jesus Christ He wants people to see that God of the universe loves them and sent his son, Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, these people are speaking blasphemy. And they're saying, look, the gods have come down to us. What, What do you think Paul is thinking right now? What would you be thinking? Have you ever heard or experienced anything like this where somebody gives credit to something else or someone else in place of God? And so that's the scene. And the background is that this is a Greek culture. The Greeks were um, polytheistic. Poly meaning many. Theism meaning gods. So they worshipped many gods. And they would often hear stories of gods. And there was a particular story that was told by the Roman poet Ovid. Who tells a myth or a legend of a story of two gods... Jupiter and Mercury visiting in the form of humans, coming down to visit some humans. And they took upon the names of Zeus and Hermes. Okay, are you all with me? There's two gods, uh, there's two gods uh, Jupiter and Mercury. They come down, they visit the people, and they take on these names of Zeus and Hermes. And in this town, this is the myth, this is the legend, in this town, there's two people who show hospitality to these disguised gods. And the rest of the town gets destroyed. And so this is the legend, the myth, mythological story that these people in the city know about evidently, most likely, from what we know. Um, And so they don't want to make that same mistake. They don't want to get destroyed. And they're giving credit to these gods. Um, perhaps uh, Barnabas they call Zeus, it says, and Paul is, is Hermes. Hermes is the, it comes from a Greek word that means hermeneutics, where we get the word hermeneutics. He's the interpreter in this case, and so they get, evidently viewed Paul as that. So imagine this scene, and then you have this priest, the priest of Zeus 
it says in verse 13, who had a temple just outside the city who brought oxen and garlands to the gates, probably the temple gates, and they wanted to offer sacrifices. So this is really going bad. This is going the opposite way that Paul and Barnabas uh, intended. Has anybody ever been in that situation? Feel like you're following God's will and everything seems to be going wrong from our perspective. But God isn't easily thrown off by that. In fact, he never is. But things seem to be getting out of of hand. Um, And in verse 14, here's Paul's uh, response. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, somehow they figure out what's going on. They they want to correct this. Okay, Uh, they 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 tore their robes. All right. So if all of a sudden I ran out and I did like a a Hulk Hogan thing here, and and is that okay? Is that does people still know what I mean when I say Hulk Hogan? I don't know. Um, It was Hulk Hogan, right? Yeah, he just ripped his shirt off. But anyway, um, so. If I came and just ripped my clothes off, or that's probably not the best illustration. Um, if I came and ripped my shirt, in those days, in Old Testament times, that meant there was blasphemy of some sort. Okay, and that's what Paul did. He's saying, stop! Stop! What are you doing? He says, we, we are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. I think it's important to, to know that sometime in your life you may be put in a situation like this. It may not be with people who think believe in Greek gods, but you may be put in a situation where you may not know what to do and just relying upon the Lord, you just got to step in and be bold and, and say, Stop! And you can... Contrast that with what Herod did not do in chapter 12. You already covered that, but he got eaten by worms um, when he didn't give credit to God. Uh, so Paul stop, he says stop, and then he, what he does is he uses the, the culture of the time to make a bridge to the gospel. And I think that's what we can... It's a good reminder of how we can do evangelism. Start with where people are for bridges to, of the gospel to get to Jesus Christ. He sees that the people have a longing for worship, but he wants to direct it to the one true God. Because you see, people long to worship. We're created to worship. And we can remind people that we're made to worship. And as you talk to people, you can understand how they see the world, what really exists Do they really believe there's a God? Do they believe they have a need for God? Everyone has a longing for something. And we don't always just start with, hey, Jesus died for you and rose again. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? But if they have a great understanding of their need, of their sin, they're going to be able to get to the understanding of their need for a Savior. So look for bridges to the gospel. Maybe in our culture it's starting with the American culture of success or popularity or being perfect or having things together or having contentment um, in someone or something. 
technology, iPhones, whatever it may be. Some in our culture could perhaps um, definitely have a sense of the supernatural, but there's a lot of people who do not. There's a lot of people in our American culture who, who are atheistic or New Age spirituality. Um, we live in a plural, pluralistic society where uh, people believe there are many ways that are equally valid. Um, it's just a weird culture that we live in America. It's so synchronistic. It blends things together. And, and it's postmodern in the sense that if it's good for you, then that's your truth. But if you step back, whatever it is, wherever they're coming from, it's based on false promises. Because if you continue to talk to them, ask them how that's going, ask them if it's completely satisfying, and their experience will prove that it doesn't satisfy. They're going to keep coming back because each human being has a God-shaped hole. You have a God-shaped hole that, 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 that is there unless we turn and trust in Jesus Christ. And so this is their message. He says, turn, change direction, change your orientation. Not from this, this vain thing, but to a living God. The living God who made everything. In fact, look around. Everything that He made provides a continual witness that God is God. God is who He says He is. And He says in verse, uh, the latter part of verse 15, this God made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. This is God's general revelation. This is Romans 1, the rains, the fruitful seasons, the food and the gladness. There is a common grace that God shows to all people. Because everything that people receive is ultimately from Him. But so many miss the giver for the gift. And that's why we've got to tell them. That's why we've got to pray for open doors. Mr. McCall read the missionary moment for the uh, ministry to San Antonio, and they pray. That's what he said in the letter. Pray for open doors. Pray for open doors, that there will be connections and bridges for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray that they would care for them. It sounds like they are. They're wanting to go to the dorms, care for these people, and then share the gospel. It's a, it's a ministry of word and deed. And God says, uh, he writes here, he did not leave himself without witness, uh, and that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And so this is the message, to turn. Um, notice that he, he actually doesn't mention the, the gospel in terms of Jesus died and resurrected. Maybe he did. Maybe we don't know about it. Maybe the, the speech got cut short, as we're about to see, most likely. Um, but Paul establishes the fact that there's one true God, the God who made everything around you, is the God of the universe. Turn from the, live, the vain, empty things that you're trusting in and trust in Jesus Christ, the God who made it all. But even in that, it says, with difficulty they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. So the crowds are still, it's still hard to, to keep them from making these sacrifices to these men. And so they're, remember they're in Lystra and, and verse 19, I'm not sure the time frame, but somehow um, here, the persecution is building. 
There, there, there's from the towns they just came from, from Antioch, that's what we saw last week, from Iconium, what we just read, there are some Jews there who have a target on Paul and Barnabas. And they travel these uh, 30 or 40 miles or so just to hurt them. It says verse 19, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now that would be a terrible ending to the book of Acts, Paul dying. But it could happen. But verse 20 says, But while the disciples stood around him, and who knows, maybe one of these disciples was Timothy. Maybe he was witnessing that right there. Maybe it was his mother, his grandmother. There are people who get to see your life lived out in the gospel that have eternal impacts that we will never see. And I am convinced that um, that happens more in your life and out in the midst of disciples of Jesus Christ who are not on stages. And we will never see the fruit that God is doing in the individual lives, perhaps until heaven where we give it all the glory to God. But the people who watch your lives and the seeds that are planted, the Spirit is working um, in amazing ways. And so... um, The disciples stood around Paul. He got up and he entered the city. And then the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. It's just so hard as you read this because you want to say, if the Jews just understood Jesus is not some cut off religion. He is the fulfillment of your religion. Everything that you hold to, he fulfills. But instead, they continue to persecute Paul. And that's the, that's the theme. Believers who carry the message will receive opposition. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. And this is what they, he told Paul. He says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And by God's grace, he survives. He gets up, he goes into the city, um, and then he leaves. Sometimes persecution leads one to move on to the next place. The gospel's planted, disciples made, and the work continues. And as we'll see, they're not going to forget the people. They're going to come back here. In verse 21, they move on to Derby. This is the third city. They go on to Derby. After they had preached the gospel they made, uh, to that city and had made many disciples. There it is. Preach the gospel, make disciples. Preach the gospel, make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus who's been changed by Jesus and who's committed to follow Jesus to become like Jesus. A disciple is a follower. It's a learner. Uh, we live in a Christian culture that sometimes leads us to believe that you can be a Christian without, a disciple, without being a disciple. And I'm here to tell you there aren't, they are not mutually exclusive. A Christian is a disciple of Jesus committed to him. Christianity is not merely a decision made and left in the past, but it's an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not trust in Jesus and see you at the rapture. It's not check the box and, and just leave the, the believer to, to figure it out. It's, it's being a disciple. It's free. 
It costs Jesus everything. It's free. But guess what? It's going to cost you everything, even though it's free. Following Jesus is costly. And as disciples grow, they begin to look for other disciples. And so that's what they, that's what they did. This was a ministry of multiplication. They preached the gospel, made disciples. This is the mission, Matthew 28. And surprisingly here, no opposition is mentioned. And this is, uh, uh, you'll see later, a guy introduced in Acts 20 named Gaius, and this is his hometown. So people are, um, believers are, are being brought from death to life, and new ministries are formed and spreading out through Galatia. This is, this is how the Spirit works. And so they've gone through these three cities, and now they had a choice. They're actually closer, I don't know if you can throw the map up here real quick, but they're actually closer to where they began. They actually, uh, Antioch of Syria, they're actually closer to where they began. Um, so right up here on the right, they went through Derby. They're closer. They could walk 100 miles east and go home. But they decided to go back. Why would they go back through what they just came? They almost died. Because they care for the believers and they want to build them up and encourage them. So if you read with me these last eight verses... Uh, seven or eight verses. Verse 21. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. If you have a pencil or something, in these next few verses, uh, 22 and 23, circle all the verbs or the participles or underline them. You have the words strengthening, encouraging, um, there's a warning. They, they, they say something. Uh, they appoint elders. They prayed. They fasted. They commended. Look at all these verses, these verbs. These are, these are the work of the ministry. These are, these are what they do. Um, and they press on through the danger. They revisit the cities, and they strengthen the souls of the disciples. Disciples need strengthening. They encourage them to continue in the faith because we're prone to wonder and we need people to not forget about us. How many, how many of you have people in your life where you know I need to keep up with them? They are prone to wonder, just like I am. So they strengthen the souls of the disciples. They encourage them to continue in the faith. And then they give them a warning. They say, through tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Again, the theme is over and over. Tribulations, opposition, suffering is there as believers press in with the gospel. And as you read the letters of the New Testament, you will see that over and over and over. So I want to ask you the question, are you, am I, are we willing to live a life of risk for the glory of God? This was a risk-taking journey for Paul and Barnabas. Are we willing to live a life of risk-taking for the glory of God? And I will tell you, I don't do that well with that. I'm not a big risk taker unless I'm outside or outdoors or something. But um, I struggle sometimes with trusting what God is doing in a current situation. And Paul and Barnabas have shown us that it takes trust in God with circumstances that, that, that will be risky. Are we willing to be a radical risk taker for the glory of God. 
which may mean that you move somewhere. It may mean you stay here forever. It may mean you interact with somebody with. They were risk takers for the glory of God. Verse 23, they, they also made so many disciples that they had churches that were growing and they needed to organize the churches. And so they appointed elders, plural here, in each church, in every church. Um, a lot of people in churches don't know what elders are or what elder means. Um, and these, this is the leadership that God has ordained. It's, it's le- uh, elders are pastors, and pastors are elders. No difference. Absolutely no difference. An elder is a pastor, a pastor is an elder. Another word is an overseer. It's someone who's a shepherd. If you look in Acts 20, it's, it uses the terms uh, synonymously. An elder is a shepherd. A pastor is a shepherd. This is the same word. And so they, they appoint these shepherds to care for the people. And then they, they pray and they fast. They're depending on the Lord. And they, they commit them into the Lord's hand, into the Lord's care. They're leaving, but they're trusting that God's in charge and you are, they are in His care. And I think something that stands out to me here is that churches should be involved in, in, in church planting um, somehow, somewhere. And, and the pattern we see here is that the Spirit uses believers who are already serving to expand the gospel um, in evangelism and ongoing discipleships. But churches should be involved somehow. And I, and I just want to throw it out there. Maybe the Lord might be leading one of you specifically. Maybe He is. Maybe there's one person in this room. But either way, Every person in this room should be involved in, 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 in the gospel-expanding outreach to the world um, or to this community or to, to three streets away. We have opportunities to strengthen disciples in other regions and expand the gospel. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, they go to key population areas. They go to a synagogue. They start with the Old Testament. They go to the Gentiles. They, they start with the establishment of one true God. Uh, but either way, being involved in this gospel uh, make sure what time it is. And by the way, and this fits really well with this passage because it's just in the passage, um, Paul could not preach a prosperity gospel. You know why? Oh, a prosperity gospel meaning trust in Jesus, your life will be easy, um, and you will... Uh, get whatever you want for the rest of your life, essentially. Um, he couldn't preach it because, one, it's unbiblical. Um, but, two, his life would have been the exact opposite. This is not a prosperity gospel. Um, he proclaimed the, the word of God, the death and risen Savior Jesus Christ, and made disciples. It is hard work. It is suffering. Um, but it is true. And so on their way back through this dangerous place, interacting with people, they make disciples, they start uh, churches, they build the churches through appointing elders, and they, they, they're on their way back. They pass through Pisidia, um, they go through the mountain range, they came, they came into Pamphylia, uh, the southern part of the coast, and when they had spoken the word in Perga or Persia, uh, they went down to Italia, that's on the coast. They're about to come home. Italia is the port city there, still is today. And from there, they sailed to Antioch. There's two Antiochs, but 
This is the, the beginning Antioch, the sending church. They come back. This is the place where it says they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. So there it is right there. The church that started the journey was a part of this process. And God's grace is mentioned as a reminder that God was caring for them. And isn't that true? In the, in the journeys of our life, we, we freak out and, and feel like God is nowhere to be found. But we look back and think God was all over that place caring for us. And that's the way they see it. And so when they get back, they gather the church together. Uh, and they begin, they have a missionary moment. This is the missionary moment. They began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had, here's the key word, opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And the church is blessed by hearing this. So missionary moments are incredibly important. There's been a door that's been opened to the Gentiles. The door is a metaphor, too. It's an, there's access to God. The Gentiles can know God. And so in summary, we've seen the Spirit from beginning in chapter 13 to the end of chapter 14. Lead a church who sent a few people to proclaim the word, specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've made new disciples. They've established churches. And now these Christian communities are set to continue the work that had begun. But there's a key principle here. The relationships that were started by Paul and Barnabas will not be forgotten. They're going to revisit the city a couple more, these cities a couple more times on journeys. Paul continues the relationships. So this is an example for church elders to continue shepherding, continue strengthening, continue encouraging. Think about the relationships that you have as a church with those you support, with your missionaries, with the Christian communities that are affected, supported by you. Keep that communication going. Pray for them. They need the fellowship, and actually, you need their fellowship. And so after this long, long journey, by foot, I might add, probably, uh, and except for when they were in the boat. Paul and Barnabas um, return and spend time with the disciples. It is good to spend time with one another. So God is opening doors. There are countless people in our lives who need a door opened so that they might see Jesus Christ, that they might trust in Jesus. 
they might turn from the vain things in their life, whatever that is, to Jesus Christ. So if you forget anything today, know that the gospel is about turning. It's about turning from our sin, turning to what does not satisfy. There's so many idols in our lives. Turning from that and trusting in Jesus Christ. He died and rose again. Pray that the Lord would open those doors. You have, a, you have a choice. You can hear this message, and, and you and I, me too, I, I, I can sit back and I can decide not to make, I can decide not to press in. Um, and everybody's got opportunities in their lives, and I don't know where yours is, um, but there are people in my life that I have an opportunity to press in, or I could sit back and do the easy thing. But the spirit is, when the Spirit leads, we must obey. All for the glory of God. And it's worth it. It's indeed worth it. So I'm going to end by reading a uh, doxology um, in Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. Um, so if you will, just stand with me. Stand with me as we read. Romans 16, verses 25 says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen.